0: The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. The the for Bay Silver or grey, take your feet. nothing great about the day here. It's wonderful weather for a Sunday afternoon. Swelling the crowd even further.
1: And as mentioned, it's by no means one way here The support Benfica
0: have a tremendous following. I think that surprises many of us who visit every year for the International Champions Cup actually just how well supported they are across the United States. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 82 of Mr. Benfica and what is... Part 1 of the long-awaited and much-anticipated on my part season finale of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu and it is great to be on this microphone one more time as I am ready to finally close out Mr. Benfica Podcast Season 2 after almost 15 months What will certainly be the, hopefully, the longest podcast season ever for anyone as um, the 2019-2020 season certainly was one uh, that will never be forgotten. And I'm sure it'll be one that in some years from now, if not myself, someone just like myself will be either at a microphone like this or at a computer or on a a web camera doing a, a a YouTube video whatever the medium for for content is and at, at that time in the future I I fully fully expect someone to be in this exact position in about well let's see 30 years uh, looking back at 2019 2020 unfortunately if it's from a Benfica perspective, 2019-2020 is not going to be a happy memory. But it's certainly going to be a historical uh, reference. And it's certainly going to have a lot of very, very important history in it. And I chose to close this season by going back 30 years exactly. Alright, and that's why I'm picturing someone reviewing this this season that just ended 30 years from now. But I'm going back in time 30 years to 1989-1990 Benfica season. It's the return of Sven Joran Eriksson to Benfica. And Benfica are the defending champions also. So much to talk about in this episode. As Benfica had just won the Portuguese league. Being managed by Tony. Yet mysteriously. Or maybe not so mysteriously. But really <laughs> interestingly... Tony is demoted if you will to to first assistant and Sven-Joran Eriksson returns to Benfica after let's see he left in 1984 so after s- 5 seasons in Italy's Serie A with both Roma and Fiorentina he returns to Sport Lisboa Benfica with the mission of making Benfica um European champions are bringing European glory back to Benfica and that is the sole reason that president at the time Fernando Santos would bring him in despite the very very successful two-year run of Tony as manager of Benfica and this has always been something that puzzled me. This season has always confused me because I, I've never been able to quite understand how you can take a manager like Tony as inexperienced as he may have been as far as being the manager. But if you remember back to when I reviewed eighty two, eighty three, 83 that was his first season as a coach. He was the the assistant coach for this very same Sven Jorn Eriksson. And he... Um, He was a part of a coaching staff that went very far in Europe that year, going to the UEFA Cup Final, winning the Portuguese League, and the Portuguese Cup that year. It was a double. That was a magical season. So fast forward six years, and now he's getting sacked for only winning the league and for only getting to the final of the the European Cup the season before that. It's kind of hard to justify because in 87-88, Tony takes over the team after the season had begun and takes them all the way to the European Cup final only to lose on penalties to PSV in Stuttgart in a match that actually my father was at and that is something that will be a topic for an episode I'm sure. Someday we'll, we'll sit down and I'll hopefully have him on here and we can talk about that final but... Um, the very next season, Tony stays on and wins the league. Okay, but if you could say bye to some really important players in 19- at the end of 1989, or I should say at the end of the 88-89 season. And Sven Joran Eriksson returns. Why? Another reason I picked this season because Sven Joran Eriksson returns. Okay. It was very similar um, to what we see this coming season. And I'm talking about 2020-2021 at Benfica with the return of Georges zuzouge And I had that theory that uh, managers returns... Don't typically work out the way the first run did, so I chose this season because I really want to take a look at this second run of Sven Joran Eriksson, so I have quite a bit uh, to say, and this has been a lot of fun to go back and revisit, certainly, and I'm looking forward to bringing all this information to you. In this first episode here, this is going to be part one. We're going to deal with 1989, the 1989 half of the season, okay? And we're gonna go from a preseason into into the end of the calendar year, okay? And we have a we have two away cl- big big matches. Of course, we have the Clasico at Aznath, and then the Derby at Alvalade. These are of course the old stadiums for those clubs. And also, Benfica start this season at quite a disadvantage, thanks to um, well. Clearly a board and a president that was valuing uh, commercial success over football success. And where have I heard that before? That's right. So we're going to start off where 1988-89 ends and it's not with winning the trophy, which it should have been. No, no, no. Or losing the cup final. Remember Benfica in 1988-89 or if you didn't know. They won the league and then lost the cup final at the Jamur to Boulinets in a surprise loss. So that being what it was, but the season didn't end there because in those days Benfica would go on lengthy tours at the end of the season. So, Benfica would go on the following tour at the end of 88-89. And this is still with Tony as manager, but knowing that Erickson is on his way. And it would start on June the 2nd, okay? Benfica would travel here to North America, starting in the United States. They would play in the Marlboro Cup. Yeah, the Marlboro Cup, sponsored by the cigarette company, Marlboro. (laughs) And in the first game of the Marlboro Cup, the the semifinal Benfica would face the U.S. men's national team and this is a national team that was just months away from their historic quote-unquote shot heard around the world not sure that the rest of the world was as interested about it as maybe the American soccer media wants everyone to believe but it would be Just some months later, before the end of 89, that the United States would beat Trinidad and Tobago in World Cup qualifying and secure a spot in Italia 90, returning to the World Cup for the first time in 40 years. Basically, that team took on Benfica, took on a tired beat up Benfica at Giants Stadium in front of 28,717, and it would be the United States national team, that's right, Beating Benfica two to one at Giants Stadium. U.S. goals scored by Steve uh, Truscu and Philip Gayo. Um, Benfica's goal was scored by Valdu in the 54th to cut the lead to two to one. But that's all that Benfica could muster. Now, in fairness to Benfica and. Quite honest, um, to to add some context to that match. This match was not played on grass. Giant Stadium in 1989 was a turf surface, and I don't mean the kind of turf we see today, you know, in in professional football and Major League Soccer, for example. No, 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 it was on a carpet. The match was played on top of a green carpet. Okay, and I remember it. Distinctly, not necessarily these games, but I remember the carpet at Giants Stadium, with all of the you know the times I saw the New York Giants or New York Jets play American football against, namely the New England Patriots or anybody else for that matter, because American football is on national television every week. But I remember that bright green carpet with the red center circle. Yep, there was a big red center circle, and in the middle of that center circle was a white logo of the state of New Jersey. And if I'm not mistaken, it said Meadowlands and um, New Jersey Athletic Commission or something along those lines. inside of that red circle with football lines, American football lines, so every 10 yards, a line and a marker. And with the end zones, if I'm not mistaken, painted in the colors of the New York Giants. That's right. So the fact that Benfica even was playing on that surface is, is laughable to me. Um, but I still remember in the early years of Major League Soccer, the club that was the precursor to New, to New York Red Bulls, the New York New Jersey Metro stars, Major League Soccer, would play on that carpet every fall. So once American football season would start, the grass pitch would be taken out and the artificial carpet would be put down. And that is the surface Benfica played on against the United States. And two days later, June the 4th, third-place match against Colombian side America Cali. And this time in front of 33,000, Benfica would win 2-1 to one goals from Valdu and Ricardo Gomes. America, the uh, America Cali's goal would be scored by Miguel Augusto Ponce. And Benfica would take home third-place. But they were not done there. Three days later, June the 7th, 1989, Benfica are playing Toronto-Italia at the Toronto Varsity Stadium. And Benfica would beat Toronto-Italia 3-1. to Goals by Lima and Vata with the double to get the three. But they're not done yet. This, this had to be... The worst for the players at the end of a long season. in eighty nine nine I mean in eighty eight eighty nine also, the Portuguese League consisted of twenty teams, so it was a thirty eight round season. And then they have to travel to North America to play on carpets, artificial surfaces. They would fly out west after that. They're not done in Toronto. Nope, they're in San Jose, California, and they would play Mexican side Monarcos Monarcas Morelia now known as Mezatlan FC, on June the 11th. And Benfica would win that match 3-2 to in San Jose. And then, nope, they're not done. Benfica would get on a plane in San Jose and fly across the Pacific Ocean. You can't get much further from Portugal at this point. They touch down in South Korea. That's right, South Korea to take part in the President's Cup, or the Korea Cup as it would later be called. Benfica would play on June the seventeenth, only six days after playing in California, and they would take on a select eleven from Hungary's first division. Benfica would win two to one in that first in that first match of the President's Cup, and those goals were scored by Vata and Ademir. Two days later, this is brutal. It is literally every two days. They're a month past the end of their season and still playing matches every two days. (laughs) June the 19th, they're playing the South Korea national team in Daejeon. And South Korea would win 2-0 over Benfica. Two days later in Gwangju, South Korea, Benfica 2, a USA under-21 side. One goals for Benfica scored by Diamantino and Ademiru. Uh, yeah, Ademiru, And the United States U21 goal was scored by the late Ken Snow, who passed away earlier this year. Fast forward three days, an extra off day here for Benfica. And they would, they would travel to Pusan. And on June the 24th, they would play a Czechoslovakian League Select 11. Benfica 2, Czechoslovakia So, Benfica would lose 5-2 to a select team from the Czechoslovakian first division. And um, at this point, they had to be ready to go home. I can't even imagine how much uh, they wanted to get out of there and get home because (laughs) this, interestingly enough, June the 24th was the day Porto returned to to camp to start preparation for the 1989-90 season, the one we're covering in this episode. So while they're getting started, Benfica are still in the previous season playing friendlies around the world. June the 26th, the final game of that season. Benfica nil, Braunby of Denmark 3. And that was the end of the the Korea Cup. And finally, Benfica could fly oh, all as, about as far as you can possibly go i i'm saying i'm i'm not a mathematician and i haven't looked this up so this is completely me freestyling here but seoul south korea and lisbon portugal i don't know that it's any whether you fly east or fly west i feel like it's the same distance you cannot get much further away uh from portugal and um Mikko would finally arrive home in the following days and have a quick summer before they're back to work, working for their new manager, which is Sven Joran Eriksson. And in the next segment, we're gonna start talking about Sven, and we're gonna talk about this season. We're gonna get, we're gonna talk preseason, and then we're gonna get into the matches that count for real. But first, I want to take everybody down a nostalgia trip. Okay, I want to get everybody in the DeLorean, and it's time now to travel. 1989 summer 1989 and of course thankfully when talking about the history of at least pop culture and of uh, uh in Portugal there is the Eurovision Song Festival which is great because that every year gives us a sound of what if if you're following Portugal or any other European country that participates you can hear a sound of what was popular there so in 1989 I've got the song here I'm going to play it for you it is Portugal's entry in the 1989 uh Euro- Eurovision song festival it was the winner at the festival rtp of course the the song festival for rtp it's by a band named da vinci and the name of the song is Conquistadores. and i do want to just say that depending on your personal views okay Please remember this song. I'm playing this uh, to bring you a piece of 1989. Please remember, this song was played and written and recorded in 1989. Some of the lyrics could be offensive to some. In- as, not because... How do I explain this? It's not that it's bad language or anything. But what the song is about Portuguese conquests at sea. And Portuguese discovery. And... By default that means colonialism and not everybody really wants to hear a song celebrating colonialism. I understand that. Um, I wanted to give you a piece of 1989 and obviously this song won in 1989 in Portugal so it was popular. I watched the video on YouTube. The 90% of the comments are positive. Some people really were put off by the topic of the song. Many agree that it probably would never win a song contest in 2020 as we live in a much more politically correct time now. But I don't think that the song was meant to be offensive in any way. Um, So the lyrics, if you understand Portuguese, are about the different Portuguese uh, overseas territories in history and how the singer or narrator, if you will, if you take it like a story, has traveled to them all, and is a conqueror, a conquistador, so, again, if, if this doesn't sound like your cup of tea, please feel free to skip ahead three minutes and four seconds, because that's how long the song is, but if you think you like it, it's a, it's an absolute blast from 1989, it sounds like 1989, it's a great, uh, it is a great little splash of nostalgia, and uh, you know, you put it on with headphones, close your eyes, you will think you are back in 1989. So here is Da Vinci with Conquistadores, and I will be back on the other side after I pay a bill. So um, after the song, we're going to pay a bill, and then on the other side, we will finally be in to 1989 90, and we'll talk preseason to start. This is Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustin You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. on Instagram at Mr. Benfica. You can check me out at mrbenfica.com. I've got that website up and going. And like I said, and I have been saying very, very soon now, it'll look completely new. Been working with the developer. We've been in touch this week. The finishing touches are being put on mrbenfica.com. And also don't forget to check out the MrBankfica.com YouTube page. And follow the PTB Media Network on Twitter at PTB underscore media. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Mr. Benfica episode 82 and let's begin to review the 1989-1990 season. This is part one of the review and we are focusing on the months of 1989 uh, here in this in this historic season. We are starting off in the preseason of course, but before that there is the background story of Sven Jorn Eriksson returning to Benfica, a Benfica team that had just won the league. So, Benfica president Fernando Santos has sacked manager Tony, okay? Well, he hasn't sacked him. He dem- he demoted him back to to first team coach, okay? Which if this was 2020, no nobody was going to Tony would not have ha- would not have accepted this in my opinion. I don't care how big of a Benfica you are, okay? Today in 2020, if you're a Portuguese manager and you champion and you've worked at Benfica, you does I'm sure everyone up out there understands the type of, of market there is for a Portuguese manager in world football today no Portuguese manager would accept being demoted from manager to first team coach after winning the title but Tony who is a better man than I I have to say um, and a big clearly a for someone who did not grow up a Benfiquista. who was not born a Benfiquista, he was born and raised a Bolinist supporter. He has been by far the most loyal servant to this club in the last 50 years, in my opinion, and this particular offseason is the most, um, speaks most, the most To that, and this was another hot summer in Portugal, in the sense of in Portuguese football, and moving and shaking. The league would reduce after a lot of of controversy. Okay, the league would finally be reduced from. 20 teams to 18 teams also the league um, discussed and debated switching the point system from two points per win to the english style three points per win in this offseason although that was became popular it was put off for the future and it would be quite some time before the portuguese league would adopt that scoring system so for 1989-90 still two points for a win one point for a draw obviously no points for a loss and there are two allowed substitutions at this time in history all right and there was a lot of discussion about foreign players as well and in this particular season there was a new rule regarding brazilian um brazilian uh, dual nationals particularly in which um any brazilian with portuguese ancestry was no longer considered a foreigner but a dual citizen and this is something that over time has evolved to all dual citizens but in 1989 the summer of 1999 this is still a hot topic and there are still plenty in the game of football that want to want portuguese football to consist of only portuguese players okay there are many 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 clubs and presidents of those clubs and officials that wanted to wanted to do away with foreign players in the Portuguese league, so they end up eventually compromising on on what they did. But I wanted to I wanted to focus here on Eriksson. So why is Eriksson back? Okay, we know why Jorge Jesus was brought back this season. There is absolutely no no uh, confusion to that. He was a, a manager that had a lot of success. Went on to other things. As as I've established, my I am of the opinion that he was pushed out. I think many of you agree with me. I've gotten that feedback from you, and here in 1989, we have a different situation. Svignor and Eriksson left after two very, very successful seasons to go to Italy and to manage Roma. Okay, things didn't work out so well, and he ended up at Sampdoria. Uh, no, excuse me, not at Sampdoria, but at. Yes, at Sampdoria. Was he at. Now I have to double check this. I apologize. I do have to fact check this one and make sure that I get my clubs right because that would be incredibly. Uh, it would be incredibly embarrassing, but I was correct the first time. So, and Ericsson leaves Mefica in the spring of 1984 after winning two titles, okay, and taking Mefica to a UEFA Cup final. He joins Roma that summer, and he manages Roma from 1984 to 1987. Um, in 1987, he takes over at Fiorentina, okay? Now... At the end of 1989 or at the end of the 88-89 season, he's having a harder time at Fiorentina. And management at Fiorentina is starting to grow somewhat tired of... Uh, th- there's a disconnect there. There's, there's, Both parties are starting to grow tired of the other. And I had mentioned Sampdoria. Uh, Svenjorn Eriksson would leave Benfica in 1992 to join Sampdoria. So that clears up that confusion. So what I'm going to do, and what I'll be using in this in this entire uh, mini series, if you will, in all of the in these two or three episodes that that we'll be reviewing this season, I'm going to be referring from time to time to a chapter in the book Sven: The Final Reckoning, that is by by Joe Lovejoy. It's published by Harper UK. And um, it's a book written. It's a biography of Sven Joran Eriksson, and, and particularly chapter eleven is back at Benfica that deals with this season and the following one. So I will refer to that book several times, and I'm going to start right now. I'll try to figure out what's going on with with the off season and why why was this management move even made? So I pick this up in in chapter ten here. And it is page 30, well, it's not page, it's the 33rd out of 36 pages in chapter, in chapter uh, 10. I'm reading this as an ebook, so I don't have the total um, page number, just the page number by chapter. So um, I do apologize, I don't have the exact spot, but this is what, it, I'm going to pick it up in the middle of the page here. And it says, for his club, it, it was one step forward, and speaking of Erickson, of course, and another step back. On February the 19th, Marco van Basten scored both goals and then was sent off. Milan won 2-0 in Florence and nine days later, so nine days after February 9th, that's February the 28th, the last day of February 1989, Sven-Goran Eriksson announced that he was thinking of returning to Benfica. He had a decision to make and would be making it within a few weeks. He said, in fact, it took him less than one to make the decision On the 6th of March, he confirmed that he would definitely be going back to Benfica. I haven't signed the contract yet, said Erickson, but the president and I have a verbal agreement. Lightholm at Roma was installed as the favorite for Sven's Fiorentina job. Okay, The timing was all to do with, get this, presidential elections. So here is another... (laughs) Here's another parallel from 30 years ago to this year, or 31 years ago, from 1989 to 2020. Presidential elections and an incumbent. The incumbent, João Santouche had received 81% of the vote on a dream ticket of which Erickson was a part of. João Santos did what so many presidents do around the world and in Portugal as well. And he ran on a ticket promising things, including a manager. And João Santos ran for re-election on the promise of bringing sven and Eriksson. Luis Felipe Vieira is running on the fact, not the promise, but the fact that he brought back Jorge Zouge. You see the, the correlation here. Some things never change whether it's in football or politics and this is a real messy area where the two do intersect and uh, it, it does go on to say here Fiorentina were compliant with this at first but then <laughs> the club of, the Florence club did a u-turn when they were unable to prize away either of the two managers they wanted Bologna's Luigi. Mayfredi or Emiliano Amondoninko of Atalanta, suddenly Ericsson was being forced to stay. Benfica announced that they expected that the uh, pre-contract agreement would be honored, but then they ran into problems as it was revealed that it had been signed not by Ericsson, but by Ericsson's agent. Meanwhile, the season at Fiorentina still had two months to run. And in March, they tried to sign Gary Lineker from Barcelona and Lubos Kubik from Slavia Prague. Lineker was dubious, but Kubik joined on the 31st of March. There was no transfer window back then; you could sign a guy whenever you wanted, as we talked about in 82-83 when uh, Glenn Stromberg was signed in June, in January, in uh, excuse me, in March or something like that. Um, for, so, this cubic guy goes to Fiorentina for 900,000 900, pounds. On the on the 1st of June, the Fiorentina secretary, Nardino Pravidi flew to Barcelona to open negotiations for Lineker. The two, and two weeks later, the England striker said he'd rather return to Tottenham. Fiorentina would turn their attentions elsewhere. In the final table, Fiorentina were 7th, which meant a playoff with Roma, who are eighth for Italy's last spot in the Euro- in the UEFA Cup? What does this have to do with Mefica? Well, let's skip ahead. Now that playoff w- match was was marred by crowd trouble, we- which was a reoccurring theme in F- for Fiorentina's matches that season. I don't think it's uh, any mistake. Fiorentina's ultras have a long-standing friendship with uh, a certain neighbor of ours. Just saying. And Sven was never afraid to give young, to talented young players a break. He'd given Baggio his chance. Remember Roberto Baggio as he broke onto the scene at, at Fiorentina. And Eriksson also showed great belief in Dunga. There are the two, ca- two captains from the 1994 World Cup Final playing in Sven Joran Eriksen's Fiorentina team in 1989. And Paul Elliott, the former Chelsea centre half, was playing for Pisa at the time and remembers Dunga well. This goes on to talk about Dunga, and then um, the author says he recalls Ericsson saying in the papers that Dunga was thirty percent of a football, f- of the football. Fiorentina were playing, and he could see what he. And this writer could see what he meant. All right, now. Ericsson got into issues with his, his owner again and his chairman over whether or not to sell Dunga. So Juventus were very keen on on purchasing the Brazilian, but Ericsson did not want to sell. And we'll talk here about Aldo Serena and Careca and Marco van Basten scoring more goals uh, in Serie A than Bajos. Only those three scored more goals than Bajos under Sven's uh, guidance, but after all that, it does say here on the final page of chapter 10, it was Benfica, however, who won the contractual tug of war, and by the summer of 1989, where we start off today, Ericsson is back in Lisbon, earning less, but saying, on the record, life here is more relaxed than in Italy, There are still pressures, but they are not so personal. My wife and I are happy here, and that is worth more than money. We get to Chapter 11, now the one that I'll be referring to. Back to Benfica is what it's called. And I will go over this real quickly just on the pieces heading into this season before we get to some matches. And it does say one of Ericsson's first signings at Benfica the second time around was... Jonas Stern, the Swedish international midfielder who cost 800,000 from Malmo. Another was Aldair, the former Bra- the f- sorry, the former Flamengo Brazilian center half. He would go on to represent Brazil at the 1990 World Cup one summer later. Young at the time, but both of these players would go on to enjoy lengthy careers. Um he would say of of Thurne, okay, Erickson would say of this Jonas Thurn. he is my Roy Keane. He is not the, this was years later, obviously. He is not the best player I have worked with, but he was very, very good. Thurne is modest about his achievements with Mayfika, crediting the manager for much of his success. In my time there, said Thurne, we had a lot of good players. I think we had a squad of 24, and every one of them was an international except of some sort. You expected to win things with players like that around you. Svenis is what he would call Sven. He was good at bringing the best out of everyone and finding their roles. He's very clever at molding players so that they fit together. Okay, so that's a little excerpt from the book, and you hear there more or less why Sven Eriksson, Sven Joran Eriksson, returned to Benfica. Politics. A president who is probably somewhat less popular, making a dream ticket and winning 82% of the vote. Oldest trick in, in the book in in club football in terms of elections, isn't it? All right, so we move forward and we have a, a preseason to play, of course, because Mayfica, remember, they finished their previous preseason, so, their previous postseason, excuse me, so late. And we have some friendly matches in the preseason. Let's go over those really quickly. Okay, as I have those here for everyone. And we pick up the preseason in August. Okay, so the fir- there were no matches in July. Mostly due to the fact that Bayfica played almost into July in the previous season. But August the 1st of 1989 in the Netherlands and it is Unitas Gorinchem one, Benfica six in their first of their first friendly of the season. Then, August the fourth, nineteen eighty nine, the Rotterdam uh, tournament, and it would be F- Brazilian side Fluminense one, Benfica one. Two days later, the sixth of August, nineteen eighty nine, and it is the same tournament. The host Feyenoord two, uh, four, Benfica two. August the 11th, uh, we're still in the Netherlands where much of the preseason was played. And it is NSVV 0, Befica 4. Benfica would then fly home and four days later, the 15th of August, they would play against Spartak Moscow and lose at the Stadio de Luge 2-3 to Spartak Moscow. Remember, the Soviet League and today's Russian League would already be in season by the 15th of August, even back then given the different calendar and the different time of year that they play there. Two days later, two days later, we're in the Trofeo Vigo in Spain, in 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 Galicia, just north of, of Portugal, eh, of the Portuguese border, I should say. And it is Celta Vigo 1, Benfica 2, 18th of August. We're still in the Trofeo Vigo. It is the final, and it is Benfica 1. And a Paulo Futre-led Atletico Madrid nil. Benfica win the Trofeo Vigo. Two days later, it's the 20th of August, and they're at it again. They're playing a lot of football. They played on the fifth. They played on the 11th of August, the 15th of August, the 17th, the 18th, in those two matches in the Vigo uh, Trofeo. And then on the 20th, two days later, they're at Pavo do Verzin in northern Portugal, and it is Verzin 1 and a tired Benfica at nil. 3rd of August, it is the Tasa Donja of the the old AFL, the Associação Futebol de Lisboa. It's not the old AFL. It's still around. But the Tasa Donja is an old competition. Essentially, the Lisbon District Championship. And it would be a Benfica one, Sporting one on the 3rd of August. This was at the Stadio de Luz. Sporting would win 4-3 on penalties. The seventeen that This competition would also later be uh, continued in the third-place game on the 17th of September. And Benfica would win 4-2 to over Estrela de Amadora in that third-place match. Okay, so that takes us to the regular season, all right, minus that little fast-forward into September there for that one. But we are in August, and we get kicked off. We were supposed to get kicked off. On the 19th of August against Vitória Stubal. But disputes in the league as to what teams were in the league. And there was a court case or a, you know, Tribunal de Sport, a sporting court case. Um, holding up the season essentially. So, Benfica did not play Stubal on the 19th as they were supposed to. They'll play that, game, that match later in the season. Now, we go to the 26th of August and it is Benfica kicking off on the road at the Don Alphonse Henrique in Guimarães, and it is Benfica taking on Vitória Guimarães in Ericsson's official return, and it will be a little bit of a shock result. Caillou Junior would get the Conquistadores to go along with our go along with our song right today, and uh, the the city of the first king Guimarães. They'll take the lead 1-0 in the 11th minute. In the 49th, though, Benfica's Swedish star Mats Magnussen would make it 1-1. And before we proceed, I should go over the roster. Not to do things out of order, but I got a little bit carried away there. And I I forgot there to, get, to go over the roster for 1989-1990. Uh, so, the squad will consist of the following players. The manager is Sven joran Eriksson, as we had said. His assistant, his first assistant, is Tony. He's best known as Tony. Real name, Antonio José the Conceição Oliveira. A legend at Benfica. And the other assistant manager is none other than Ozébú da Silva Ferreira. We all know him simply by his first name. Ozébú, the greatest of all time in our uniform. José. José Capristano is the director of football. Shell, recently retired Shell, is the secretary of the football department. While Bernardo Vasconcelos is the team doctor. Emil Carmiranda is another team doctor. Asteronimu Araújo is the masseuse. Antonio Gaspar is the physiotherapist. Jorge Castelo, the scout. Luiz Santos, the kitman. And, and José Luiz, another kitman. So two kitmen but only one scout. Things were very very strange in 1989 for sure. <laughs> And the squad list reads as follows here. We have the legend Manuel Bentu still hanging around, still on the roster. He, to this point now, at this stage in his career, is the beloved backup. Uh, Of course, he suffered a horrible injury in the 1986 World Cup in training, no less breaking his leg, and he was never the same again. Only one appearance in 1989-90. Silvino is the starting goalkeeper. He's had 46 appearances in goal... Uh, Antonio Veloso is a defender. We we heard him. Um, we heard from him in the 1982-83 season. He was a midfielder and a defender at that time. Now, five years later, he is strictly a right defender. He could also play on the left, which he used to in those days as well. But he now had solidified himself as a right defender by this point in his career. More defenders: Jose Carlos Ricardo Gomes is the Brazilian. Uh, central back who played a lot of matches there in the center of the defense and was a very, very good uh, leader and led all defenders in scoring with five goals. Also, Alvaro Melgaleinj, we remember him from 82-83. He had a very small role at this point, uh, but still hanging around on the team. Two appearances for him in this season. Antonio Fonseca is a left defender. There's Simuel Kina also in there and Paulinho. The big signing, Aldaid, at least the big signing at the back, Aldaid from Flamengo in the off season. He would put in a good season of 33 appearances in total, 22 of them in the first division. Fernando Mendes came from Sporting. He would give a a good effort, but most of his time uh, was spent in training, but he would make four appearances in the league. Paulo Madeira, young Paulo Madeira. um, If you're my age, you probably remember Paulo Madeira in the Vietnam era towards the end of the 90s, but here at the end of the 80s, a decade earlier, he was a youngster coming through the ranks, and he had just found his way into the first team, as did this next name that I think everyone's going to Recognize it's Paulo Souza. Yes. That Paulo Souza. You know I'm talking about the one that jumped in goal and made that nice save against Bovisha, right? Yeah, that's him. And then there was something about some other club that uh ended up stealing his services from us. But we won't go there. That would that's four years away. So right now Paulo Souza is one of our golden boys, and he is the future of Benfica, and I am gonna believe that he's gonna be the future of. Of Benfica, the future number 6. Regnani Nevs is a midfielder as well. Vitor Pineda is a stalwart in this team. Usually the number 7. And 38 appearances in all competitions for Vitor Pineda in 1989-90. Abel Kampuj, Angola International, is another midfielder. Jonas Stern, we spoke of him in the beginning of the segment. 800 £1,000 from Malmo in Sweden in the offseason. First signing made by Sven Jorn Eriksson. Antonio Pacheco put in 41 appearances in the season. And then something about, uh, something about another team some years down the road, but let's forget that. <laughs> Angolan forward Vata would be a name that would live in Benfica legend forever by the end of this season. Lima is a Brazilian forward. Valdu is a Brazilian midfielder. Shalana still kicking around at this stage of his career after all the injuries in 1989-90. Shalana is uh, still part of Benfica. Puts in 12 appearances in all competitions. Mats Magnussen, the Swede, big Swede striker. He put in a very, very good, a out of this world actually uh, season. Here for Benfica. We're going to say his name a lot in this uh, in these next couple episodes. Uh, Demir Alcantara is a midfielder, Brazilian midfielder, eight appearances for him. Diamantino's still around, 21 appearances for him. We talked about him in 82 83. And there's the forward Cesar Brito, who would return to us in this offseason from a lone spell at Portimonense. So let's talk transfers real quick. We just mentioned Cesar Brito also returning from a. Alone at Portimonense is the defender, José Carlos. Paulinho returns from a loan at Strijal. Aldair was signed from Flamengo, like we said. And Jonas Thern was signed from Malmo. Here's who left in the offseason. Uh, forward Ricky went to Strijal de Amadora for an undisclosed amount. The legend, Sr. would step down and retire at the end of the season. He's now a part of the staff. Moser, our, our undisputed, undeniable stalwart central defender for some time, he left for Olympique de Marseille. But um, Moser's going to make another appearance in this story before we're done. Tiumba Menignane went to Tirsense for an undisclosed fee, Wando to Boavista, Jose Garrido to Boavista, sorry, Wando to Maritimo, Jose Garrido to Boavista, uh, Antonio Miranda de Luiz Mariano to União de Leiria, and Brazilian Elzo Coelho to Palmeiras on a free. And four player, five players were sent out on loan. João Pires to Isturil. Pedro Válido, the current BTV commentator and youth team uh, coach, would go to Feirenz on a loan that would expire later at the end of the season on June the 30th. Edmundo to Bilenos. Uh, Augusto Geronimo to to and Abel Silva to Penafiel the coaching staff Sven Jorn Eriksson is the manager as you know Tony his assistant and we already discussed that the other assistant Osabio da Silva Freira needs no introduction we know him simply by his last his first name excuse me the great the goat our our greatest of all time uh, Osabio Juzek. Capristano is the director of football. Shell, we just spoke about him. He's the secretary for the football department. Bernardo Vasconcelos and Amilcar Miranda are the doctors. Asteronimo Araújo, the messucer. The, uh, Antonio Gaspar, the physiotherapist. João, Jorge Castelo is the scout. Luiz Santos, the kit man, and José Luiz, the kit man now. Yeah, we have two kitmen, but only one scout. Someone try to make sense of that one for me. So we already talked about the one one draw with Vittoria guimaraes We'd follow that up on September the 9th. okay, we would step into September and actually we would play in a couple of different, a couple of different competitions in the month of September. So we'd start off on the ninth, of course, in a league round three-match against Betamar at the Stadio de Luge and Benfica would win 5-0, and you would get goals from Magnussen. He scored four in this one. Magnussen would get off to a flying start with four goals, okay, and um, Vata would add the other. Later that week, midweek, it was European Cup, the that day's version of today's champions league knockout tournament though in those days two legs winning on aggregate advances portugal travel to to ireland to take on their champion Derry city of course in those days only the champions of each league were in the champions cup or well, in the european cup if you want to call it that and um They'd be joined by the defending champion of the of the European Cup, and that was it. There was no other way in but to be champion, and Benfica would win two to one in Ireland over Derry City. Goals from Thern in the 59th and Ricardo Gomes in the 64th. Paul Car- uh, Paul Carlisle, excuse me, in the 73rd would draw one back and give some pride to the Irish side. On the 23rd of September, it's back to the league, and it is Benfica once again. Um, this time, they're traveling to the Madeira Island, and they would play the Islanders. It was Nacional hosting Benfica, and Benfica would come away victorious 4-1. to one, Goals from Thern, two for more from Magnussen and Daid. Nacional's goal would be scored by Eitor from the penalty spot in the 81st minute. Later that week, the 27th of September, it's it's uh, leg two of the first round of the European Cup. And it is Benfica taking on Derry City. Benfica four, Derry City nil. Benfica win the round six to one on aggregate. Goals on this night were scored by Magnuson, Vata, Ricardo Gomes, and Aldair. And that would take us to October. And there's a kind of strange stop here in the month of October. Uh, two weeks with no matches. I did look. There was a European uh, window, if you will. There, um, it looks like Portugal must have played friendlies that week because they did not play in in a World Cup qualifier. I said European window. I'm an international window, and Portugal did not play any World Cup qualifiers for Italia '90. There in October, they um, would play in November, but not in October. So I'm assuming they played some friendlies, but there were no league matches. Until the 14th of October. And that's when round 5 would kick off. And a somewhat historic result here. As Benfica would win 7-0 at the Stadio de Luz over Penafiel. And what better of a way to go into a match with one of your two biggest rivals. But to come off a 7-0 victory at home. Goals scored by Magnussen had 4 in this one. He would hit 4 once again as Abel Kampus would add two, and Vata would add one, 7-0 to Benfica. And four days later, it was the European Cup round number two, leg one. Benfica travel all the way to Hungary to take on Budapest Onved. And Benfica would win 2-0 over Budapest Onved in Hungary. Goals were scored by Peshiku from the penalty spot and Valdu in the 66th minute. And that would take us to the 22nd and the round 6 league tie with Futebol Clube de Porto. And let's take a look at the lineups for this one real quickly. We'll run down starting with Porto's lineup and a young up-and-coming Vitor Bahia in goal in his first season as a senior player. He had just been part of a squad that had won the under-20 World Cup for Portugal. He was joined on that squad, of course, by Paulo Sousa of Benfica. And if I'm not mistaken, Pedro Valido and uh, Paulo Medeira also on that team. Uh, the f- the right back was João Pinto, as always. He would be the right back for over a decade for Porto. It was, it was um, you could pencil him in week in, week out. The central defenders were Demol and Geraldinho. And the left back was Branco. The holding midfielder in this 4-1-3-2 was André. André is the father of current Vitória Guimarães and former club do Porto midfielder André André. And in front of him, he had Jaime Magalhães, Bandeirinha, and, C- and Semedo with Majer, the hero of the European Cup 1987 for Porto, Algerian international, teaming up with Rui Aguas. Wait, what? Yeah, that's right, Rui Aguas, our Rui Aguas, now a Porto player. This was part of his, the second of his two-year stint there before he smartened up and returned home where he belonged after this season. Uh, Benfica would go with the following 11. Porto, of course, are managed by Artur Jorge, who unfortunately would come to Benfica some years later and just dis- help destroy Benfica for better part of two decades. Thanks, Artur Jorge. But Befica would go with Silvino in goal. The right back was Balozzo. Central back pairing was Aldair and Ricardo Gomes with Fonseca on the left. Same formation 4-1-3-2. Thurn is the holding midfielder with Vitor Paneda on the on his right in front of him. In the center is Valdu and on the left, Pacheco with Cesar Brito partnering with Magnussen up front. In the 14th minute, though, Huyagu, our former player, would get a little bit of karma for those of you that believe in that as he would be injured. And he would be substituted by a very young, a very young and at that time fairly unknown Domingo's Paciencia. We would come to know him. He would torment us for years. But on this day, yeah, he would put in 76 minutes without much. But in the 18th minute, have a listen.
1: Na marcação aos jogadores Benfica Está o lance de ataque E penalti É o penalti contra o Benfica Carga sobre Jaime Magalhães Francisco Silva Perentório é estado de novo lance Jaime Magalhães e depois Fonseca A empurrar o dianteiro portista Aos 17 minutos Aí está de novo a repetição do lance de Jámaguari, mas sem dúvida pode ser empurrar o seu adversário. Aí está e o golo é o golo de Dumal, é o golo de Dumal, Dumal a apontar a grande finalidade de 18 minutos. O Porto adianta no marcador aqui no Estádio das Aí está a repetição do Mole inaugurar o marcador aqui no Estádio Portista. Marca para o lado direito de Silvino, que atirou-se ainda muito bem, mas qualquer forma a bola a entrar na baliza bentiquista.
0: And you heard there the seventy thousand in attendance at the old Antas. As they cheered when referee Francisco Silva pointed to the spot, a foul on Antonio Fonseca against Jaime Megalhange and the central defender. Demol, steps up, beats Silvino from the penalty kick. And what do you know? Penalty for Porto. Something that we still deal with all the time, right? So Porto would score there. And the rest of the game would resemble very much what we see today in, in a Porto Benfica match. Uh, a lot of physicality, a lot of intimidation, a lot of uh, an atmosphere of, of intimidation from the stands, from the 70,000 in attendance. And Benfica were unable to make the most of it and would suffer a devastating loss because they would get leapfrogged into first place on this day and uh, Porto would now be in the driver's seat and Ericsson would not be happy at the end of this match as he said that uh, they just were not good enough on the day and now they're going to have to play the psychological battle um, of playing from behind even already in October. So Benfica didn't have any time to worry about spilt milk because three days later Benfica are hosting Bolognese in the first leg of the Super Cup, the Super Tasa, Candido de Oliveira. First le- in those days, it was played over two legs, the first leg at the Stadio Delusion. it would be Benfica 2. Bolognese nil goals from Vata and Lima. And that would leave us with one more game in the month of October. Okay, and that would be October the 28th against Portimonense. And on October the 28th, it would be at the Stadio de Luge hosting uh, Portimonense. of course. Magnussen once again. Three this time for Magnussen. Another hat-trick in the second, 24th, and 85th minute. While Abel Kampush and Aldair would add one each. 5-0 to Benfica. A good way to come back. A good way to recover after a, after a disappointing loss. And again, time would not stand still because there would be a huge, huge derby on the other side of this match. However, before we get there, we have leg number two in the European Cup. Round two, leg two, and we now are in November of 1989. It is November the 1st, and we are in the Stadio de Luge. Benfica versus Budapest. Onved. And a historic 7 0 thumping by Benfica. As Cesar Brito would have two. Two for Vata, two for Magnussen. And Abel Kampuj would add one to make it 7 0. Benfica win the round. 9 0 on aggregate, and they would advance to the next round, which will not take place until the spring, until 1990. So we won't be back in the European Cup slash Champions League until the next episode. 5th of November, and it is the league round 8, the Primera División round 8, a trip across the Scount Circular. To the old José Olvalad Stadium. And uh, here is a little bit of an m- audio montage of that match. Have here a listen. It's about three, four minutes or so of different commentary from different sources of that match. Peluso,
2: melhor do que Oceano. César Brito. Pode ser o gol, grande defesa de Ivkovic, grande ao oposta de Jonas aos 9 minutos com César Brito na recarga apalhada. A hipótese de gol, estamos a ver o lance, repare-se, Ivkovic estava batido, levantou-se rapidamente, dois homens do Benfica em posição, os dois pontas de lança e tentando o chapéu, muito bem, Ivkovic levantando as mãos. Repare com terne, trinco do Benfica ao ataque, tirou o trinco do Sporting do lance, abrindo espaço para o seu portentoso remate. Luizinho, a Valtinho, Douglas, desmarcação de cadete, Ricardo está batido, o remate na passada, vamos ver, excelente passe... Grande pique por banda de cadete. Ricardo não conseguiu intercessão. Apertado por Veloso na passada ao tiro. Silvino muito bem a desviar para canto. Sporting mais pressionante. Benfica sem iniciativa. Sem o seu futebol variado pelos flancos. Mats Magnussen muito só. Agora Abel e Benácio. Benácio está batido. Pelo meio vai César Brito. Luizinho no corte. E Ficoubitos pode ser o gol. O primeiro golo do partida. Estávamos nós a dizer que o Benfica estava com dificuldade de envolvimento pelos flancos quando a pele arrancou, mais possante que a típica do contra-ataque. O Benfica a inaugurar o marcador em alvalade, César Brito de Pesca. Pedro Venâncio vai lá, vai ficar batido pela velocidade e pela maior capacidade atlética do seu adversário. Luizinho pelo eixo. tentar fazer a cobertura à zona em diagonal Ivkovic está nas suas costas César Brito vem pelo corredor central atrás da linha da bola, atrás do Luizinho e depois à saída de Ivkovic já não tem tempo, a bola empurrada para a baliza Paulinho Cascabel terna, melhor, rompendo bem metida a bola para César Brito, tem Magnusson do lado contrário Luizinho já a fechar Ah, ali por pouco que Mats Magnussen conseguiu, o toque fatal Luizinho a fechar. tenta entrar por dentro César Brito tem que rodopiar para ganhar o espaço e ali é uma discussão com o Venâncio tem um lance que merece a melhor observação este embora nos pareça que posição de Mats Magnusson também não era a melhor, Ter uma posição difícil. Atenção, grande defesa de Silvio. Douglas executou. Repara na entrada de Fernando Gomes ali pelo espaço vazio. O amortecimento de Cascavel e depois Gomes com excelente execução. Fernando Gomes já estava para cada linha de defesa do Benfica. Aldeia. Apontado. Pacheco Magnussen pode marcar Vamos ver Grande defesa de infantes Estamos a ver o lance de novo O canto ainda não foi apontado Quando vai haver a segunda substituição da equipa do Benfica Vai entrar Samuel Vamos ver quem sai Grande defesa Aquilo que se pode dizer O resultado Vencendo o jogo Está naquilo que se pode chamar, no lavado dos cestos, a e tabela no lavado dos cestos, é Vindima. E agora quase, quase que o Benfica ia permitindo a igualdade. Muito bem, terminou a partida, fez um jogo que se pode dizer muito determinado, extremamente concentrado, foi estaticamente disciplinado.
0: And so there were some of the sounds from that Derby 1989 round. Number eight, all right, November the 5th to be exact. And it was Benfica with the victory. Cesar Brito in the 57th minute, putting Benfica ahead to stay. But let's take a look at the lineups real quickly for this one before we move on because this was a big win for Benfica and for Sven-Joran Eriksson to keep pace with Porto. In goal for Sporting was Tomislav Ivkovic, a Yugoslavian in those days. Today he is a Croatian as um you know the the geopolitical situation in the Balkans has has changed significantly in the last 30 years. The defenders for Sporting, Venâncio, Lial, Luisinho and Oceano in midfield. Valtinho. Carlos Manuel? What bizarro world have we gone to? First, Rui <laughs> Aguas is on Porto. Now Carlos Manuel is on Sporting. Yeah, that's what happened. Carlos Manuel, after leaving Benfica, went to Switzerland to play for Sion. It didn't work out, and he was courted heavily by Sporting and brought back to Portugal to play for Sporting. Also in midfield with him is douglas and marlon brandon uh, yeah marlon Brando, <laughs> marlon brandon who must have been named after the actor marlon brando and up front you got george cadet and fernando gomes wait what yes here we go again a porto icon fernando gomes is playing for sporting in 1989 this is a bizarre season substitutes still utilized in this match for Sporting, who were managed by Manel Jose, who oddly would manage Benfica some eight or nine years later. And he would utilize Paulinho Kashkaval in the the 63rd minute, who would replace Lial, and he'd bring on a young Carlos Xavier in the 78th to replace Valtinho. Benfica, the winners on the day, would start with Silvino in goal, of course. The center back pairing is undisputed. It is the pair of Brazilian internationals, Ricardo Gomes and Aldair. Can we just take a minute here to realize and understand that in 1989 90, Benfica had the starting center back pair for Brazil's 1990 World Cup team, Aldair and Ricardo Gomes. Playing together at Benfica and then playing together at Brazil. Faloso is the right back. Jose Carlos is the left back. Vitor Pereira, Abel Campuch and Valdo would, would play in front of Jonas Thern in midfield. While Cesar Brito in this one would join. Mats Magnussen still utilized. Pacheco would come on in the 78th and replace Cesar Brito. While Samuel would come on and replace Abel Campuch. And we know that, obviously, he's the topic of the episode, so we don't have to state that Sven Jorin Eriksson was the manager and 70,000 in attendance, apparently, in this one as well at the Stadio Juzelvala, the old one, on Sunday, November the 5th. It was a 3 o'clock p.m. kickoff, as was custom in those days. So Benfica pick up two very, very important uh, points and move on. That was on the 5th of November. The next match would not be played again until the 19th because of an international window, I am suspecting. But on the 19th of November, Benfica would travel all the way up to Trás-os-Montes to take on the of uh, Sportive de Chaves, and would be incredibly frustrated on the day to come home with a nil-nil draw and drop a point. As that would be a frustrating result for and Eriksson, Tony Ozebu, and the rest of the staff. A week later, November the 25th. And we're in the league again. And this time it's at home. It's Benfica hosting Maritimu. And the Stadio De Luge would be rocking on a Sunday afternoon here. November the 25th. Benfica for Maritimu nil. Magnuson with another hat-trick. Vata would add one of his own, and Benfica go in to December on a winning note. Good, good recovery from Benfica after losing at the Antish, dropping only one point in their next five. And also still later in November, four days actually after this one, it is leg number two of the Super Cup. The Super do de Oliveira, to be exact. This one is at the Hystilu across town in Balain. And it is the real Bulanes Nil Benfica to Mackay and Magnuson with the goals. And Benfica win the and I believe Mackay was an own goal, if I'm not mistaken. That is one of the the Bolognese players, so there was an own goal for Bolognese, and Magnussen would add yet another, and Mefica would win the Supertasa Candido de Oliveira for the third time, and now we reach December, December the 3rd, and it is the Primeira División, the first division, round 11 at Braga, another trip up north to the old Primeiro de Maio Stadium, a place Benfica was uh, very successful throughout the years. A place they've been very, very happy. And it would be Braga nil. Benfica for Braga, obviously, 30 years ago. Not the Braga we know today. Um, they have come a very, very long way in those years, especially after the turn of the 21st century. But in this day, it was 4 0 to Benfica on the road. Valdu with two, Thurn with one, and then Abel Campos with the other. A week later it was finally time for the Portuguese Cup. First division teams enter at the third round, and this is the third round, and it is Benfica traveling to, to Rio up in in uh, in the north there in Vila do Conde. It would be at the Stadio dos Arcos and it would be Rioav one, Benfica four, Benfica continuing to Impress as the year starts to come to a close and wind down on this day. Vata would open the score with the goal in the 21st. But Karim would l- draw level for the Villa uh in the 34th. But that is as close as it would get for them. Magnuson with a double on each side of halftime. And then Samuel well, ices it in the 75th to make it 4-1. to one. And following that victory, it would be now on the four days later, the 13th. Benfica will play round one, believe it or not. It is the makeup match from round one. So it is Benfica hosting Vitoria Stubal at the Luz. And it would be Benfica 5. Stubal one. Vata this time with the hat trick. His turn to get a hat trick. The Angola international Pashiku and Magnussen would each add a piece. In the 16th, three days later, 16th of December, it is the 1st Division around. Number 12, Benfica, home again. This time, facing Ferenc from Santa Maria de Feira, And it would be a 3-1 victory for Benfica. Vata, Aldaïd, and Vitor Pineda, the goal scorers on that day. And a week later, another trip up north. To the, vill- to the town of Santo Tirso, the town, same town that, um, or I should say the same Conselho, the same municipality as Ciprodilas uh, is from. This is one of their local rivals, their big rival, Tirso. And Befica would drop another point on a disappointing afternoon in Santo Tirso as it would be a 1-1 draw. Cesar Brito with the goal. And Benfica dropping another important point. And a week later on the eve of the new year. That's right. On New Year's Eve. Eve. December the 30th. It is round 14. And it is Benfica 1 at home. Boavista 1. And Boavista come into the illusion, take another point. And this is really some ice water on what was a pretty red hot phase in the season for Benfica. And I take this next... Um, passage from from the book Erickson um, from the Erickson book. Excuse me, Sven Jørgen Erickson, the final reckoning. As I said at the top of the episode, by Joe Lovejoy, and he says Benfica, Benfica was looking the part of title aspirants, but ended 1989 on a flat note. Stated by Erickson himself. The worst performance of the season was that one against Boavista. Only picked up a point and Porto had the psychological advantage of finishing the year and entering 1990 as league leaders. And that is where we stop for today. The, there'll be the second part of this installment will come out within the next 36 to 48 hours. Maybe sooner if I can find the time tomorrow to record it. Um and I will bring you the next phase, but this closes out 1989 as Benfica will go into the new year in second place behind Porto, okay, as we heard there from Eriksson's own words. He was disappointed with the way that the year ended, kind of anticlimactic if you ask me, but when we return, it will be January, and we will get right back into the league. There's there are still three more rounds to play in the first half of the season before the fixtures reverse. Um, Magnussen, on one hand, is on an absolute tear through the league right now. He's on a tear in Europe. Benfica have advanced in Europe. That's a big one. They are in the European Cup quarterfinals now. They had drawn the Ukrainian-slash-Soviet side, Dinipro. And they will travel to, they will actually play the first leg at home. That's not until March, but we'll definitely talk about that in the next episode. And we also have some more big matches. But things start to get a little tough for Benfica in the next episode, okay? And Ericsson is starting to find the toughest phase of his, at least to this point, his uh, tenure as a Benfica manager whether in the first stint or in this one as results start to be a little bit hard to come by and Porto have become a more formidable rival than they were five years earlier I think he learned that the hard way um, not that he didn't respect them but I think he 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 saw up close and personal the difference of Porto remember Porto are right now running on a streak of results that they're incredibly ecstatic about. They elected Pinto da Costa as manager at the beginning of the decade, and here all his promises had been fulfilled at the end of the decade. He said that they would win uh, the league. He said that they would win the cup. He said that they would win in Europe, that they'd reach a European final. They reached two. They lost a cup winner's cup final to Juventus in 1984. But then would win the European Cup, as you know, in 1987, beating Bayern Munich in the final in Vienna. So um, this is not the same Porto we were talking about in 82-83. But Portuguese football is starting to look somewhat like we know it today. 18 teams in the league and... um, match fixture congestion starting to be more of an issue as you can see they're playing in spaces of every four days for large portions of the season and it was it's it's a lot of fun to go back and relive this i want to thank everyone for joining me here and like i said the next part of this installment will be out shortly um, stay tuned to this channel, of course, to get it. Make sure, if you haven't already, hit subscribe and please go to Spotify and to Apple Podcasts and leave Mr. Benfica a five-star rating so that I can get this out to more people. I do believe that we still have a lot of Benfiquistas, English-speaking ones out there that... Have not heard of Mister Benfica or for any of these Benfica podcasts. I think there's still people discovering the world of podcasting as we speak. So it's always important. I want to thank everybody that's been downloading the show. We've appeared in the different charts in the last two in the last month to two months uh, since July. Essentially, we've been in the charts every day. We've been in an a chart uh, in Portugal. We've been in the top fifty for since. I should say since June, every single day we're yet to drop out of the top 50 soccer podcasts in Portugal. To my Portugal listeners, I love you. Thank you. I can't, I cannot stress just how blown away and humbled I am to think that people in Portugal are listening to a Portuguese-American kid. I'm not a kid anymore, but a kid to me, to myself in my own eyes, I'm still just a kid from a Portuguese neighborhood here in the United States. Uh, who loves Benfica talking Benfica and to to just keep getting the plays every week. I thank you guys so much and um, also want to give a shout out if there's if this whoever it is is still listening. There were an uptick in listens in the last couple of days coming from Greece. And as everybody knows, Benfica are getting set to take on Paok. I believe the Paok fans have been have been looking for some kind of information on our team or some kind of reaction to the signing, perhaps, of Zivkovic as we're back now in, in 2020 for a moment. Um, the DeLorean is back in 2020, so I'm going to park it right here, put it in park, and uh, leave it here till tomorrow, but so... Um, and a, a special hello to to the Pauk supporters. Um, thank you for, for listening. It, it's it's pretty awesome to be heard in so many countries. Thank you to the re, to the listeners in the Netherlands and in Switzerland. There's been a recent uh, spike in listens in, in those countries as well. And again to all of my loyal loyal listeners here in the United States and Canada. You guys are are my base. Canada, you know you you know I love you guys, but um, especially those of you in the Toronto area, I'm still pissed off about that Game Six of the NBA uh, Eastern Conference Semifinals last night, man. Nick Nurse, not cool, going out opening up for a three-point shot like he's a player. <laughs> but hey, Game Seven comes your way tomorrow if you're into basketball. Uh, yeah. Listen, guys. Um, this you know this isn't a NBA podcast by any means, but I had to give a shout out to the Toronto Raptors fans. They great team. I think this Boston Celtics and Toronto Raptors series is two teams that I love to watch play, and um, it's a shame it has to end tomorrow for, for one of them. Um, so much respect, of course, to all the listeners up in the six, up in Toronto. All right, so stay tuned here, like I said, and also check out the Parking the Bus channel wherever you get your podcasts, all right? Make sure to subscribe to that and to follow the Twitter, w um, the Twitter at... PTV underscore media. And keep up with everything I'm putting out there. Like I said, this is a, a project I've taken on along with Leo from, from DGENs United. And um, we're going to be changing the, the format of the Parking the Bus podcast very soon. Uh, we got a great idea, I think. And I think it's going to be well-received. And uh, we've both been working incredibly hard, taking every single spare moment to crank out content for all of you. Um, so please check it out. And like I said, just just give it a listen. Give it a play for 30 seconds if if you're busy. I do appreciate it. Every single play counts. And it helps me keep putting out more content. All right. Uh, That's it for this episode. I'll see you again very soon for episode 83, which will be part two of this installment. As at the end of this, we will cross the finish line finally in 2019-2020. Just in time to start the new season. All right. Um, which kicks off, as you know, next Tuesday night, September the 15th, in Greece for Benfica. They're going to central Macedonia to take on Pauk. So we're counting down to that by looking back 30 years at one of the great European seasons in Benfica history. Thank you for listening. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinho signing off for now.